Hey, good morning and welcome to Mariner's Church. Thank you guys for being part of today. Glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here and it's just terrific to be part of this church family. If you're here for the first time, I would uh, um, like to also welcome you and say thank you for being part of uh, this morning. Hey, today is, is uh, Father's Day and uh, to celebrate this time after the service, we have ice cream out there for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah for everybody. Somebody said, you're just going to do it for fathers, right? And I said, no, we're going to do it for everybody. And they said, well, why for everybody? It's like, well, if you're a dad and you have a bowl of ice cream and your kids don't, what happens to it? Anyway, they just take it. So we're just going to give it to everybody. So after the service, go out there, grab, grab some ice cream, enjoy it. It's all um, locale, fat-free, non-carbohydrates, nothing's in it. So we got only the best. So um, it's, it's there. And also connect with other people, people that you may not have met yet. Just introduce yourself to them. And, 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 and do it that way. Um, hey, uh, we do have a special video for dads and kids in the church uh, to kind of celebrate Father's and Father's Day. So I'm going to go ahead and have you turn your attention to the screens, if you would. Yeah. Um, so we, anyway, uh, happy Father's Day. Happy... Um, dad's day um, all of us have dads um, and so uh, maybe uh, make sure you call them uh, this is the day when uh, most phone calls are made um, believe it or not father's day um, and mother's day by the way so make sure just want to simply acknowledge also that some of you uh, men that are here you may not be getting uh, calls from kids because you don't have them or maybe uh, they're just strange from them, or maybe sometimes, like me, your kids forget. Get. <laughs> so um, so it, we, we recognize here at Mariners, this could be a, a bittersweet for some, you know, um, and, and we, we recognize that and understand that. Um, for some of you, I know this is the first Father's Day uh, that you've never had to buy a Father's Day card, you know, for your dad. Maybe your dad's passed, and... We get it, we understand it, and, and so it's, it's tough, but we rejoice with those who rejoice, and there are those that can, and, and so do, rejoice fully, you know, let your dad know how much you love him, and um, please, and, and, uh, um, but also weep with those who weep, and so we want to stand with you no matter what. We're going to take a second, we're going to pray. Would you pray with me, please? For, Lord, thank you for the, um, the dads in our lives, thank you for... Um, if we're privileged with kids, thank you for them. And I pray today would be a celebration, a joy, um, a time where you would also come in and fill empty spaces in our hearts and lives because you are ultimately a good, good father for us. And so bless today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, today is um, very, very different. Uh, I said that to someone this week that today is going to be different. And they said, oh, really? Are you going to be interesting for once? So that's a <laughs> response I get for that. And hey, this is Father's Day. Um, and we are also, though, in what we're looking at as a church family, we kind of go through series, you know, message series. And this one is called Questions I Have for God. And, and I thought it would be kind of good on Father's Day to work the whole thing out, to ask the question, God, what kind of father are you? You know, what kind of father are you really to us and try and pull the two days together? Now, a bunch of times Jesus will 
refer to God as Father and tells us that when we go to prayer, we can say this. And this is a very famous, our Father in heaven. I mean, there, there we go, right there. And Jesus would say, your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. In the Bible book of Romans, it says that we can approach God and we can call him Abba, which is the familiar word. We call him Dad. You know, Dad, we're that, we're that close. Now, some of you, you know, kind of want to go into the theological route. Why do we call God Father? And there's lots of theological questions ab- about that. And, 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 and we can talk about that offline. We really can. And, and there's lots of great theological answers for that and reasons for that. But bottom line, it's a term that we can understand and we can relate to. We can grasp that and, and understand what the love of a father is like. But to give perspective of a fatherhood, I've actually asked a dad um, if he'd be willing to share a little bit about his stories of being a father, of the ups and downs of being a dad, and there are going to be ups and downs in this story. And also, um, we're going to be talking and, 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 and have him talk to, to us about what he's learned about God the Father's love to him and God the Father's love to others through the journey that he's had to experience and go through. So I said, would you pray about this? Would you please you know, pray about this? It'd be an interview format, and, and, and I think you would help the people in the church. And he, he prayed, and he said, okay. Now, sometimes people ask me, well, you know, Paul, who do you spend time with to kind of help build you up and support you? This is one of the guys in my life that I have said, I want you to be part of my life, and, and, and he's agreed to do that. And so we're going to welcome, and he's part of our church family, um, and he is uh, part of Mariner. He's my friend. We're going to welcome Ellie Boydston. Ellie, would you come on up, please? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, we're gonna we're gonna. If you look at the screen, you, you know, you see that's the name here, and you're gonna ask the question. Ellie Boydston. What's the Ellie stand for? So let's get this name thing straightened out first. Okay. So what is your real first name? Lacadocious Eleazar. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I was named after my uncle, who was a bomber pilot, and he was shot down in World War II. And my mother's brother, his name was Luther Ellis Bailey, and in the South, people go by their initials, so his nickname was Le. So when I was born, my dad was excited that I was a boy, so he just gave me the initials. And uh, that's what I got, L-E. <laughs> so your real first name is L-E. L-E, just L-E. the two initials. Yeah. yeah. And how many first grade teachers hated you because of that name? So, uh, not yeah. only that, I grew up in the military, and in the military they don't accept the initials for a first name. And so my whole life, every day, almost, every time I meet someone new, whatever I do, I have to explain what my name is. And so I usually lie about it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, by your accent, we can tell that you weren't born in no. South Half Moon Bay, so tell us a little bit about that. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, into a military family. When I say a military family, I mean, my dad was serious military. Uh, my, uh, I had an uncle die in combat, had an aunt die in combat, had a brother-in-law die in combat, I had two cousins die in combat, and I had a nephew die in combat. I come from a military family. Military family all the way through. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your growing up. I mean, you sent us some pictures there. Yep. You see the pictures there? Uh-huh. I know you sent us all the cute ones. Yes, um, that's, that's really true. nice of well, you to do the that. Kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your, your growing up years. Where, where were you? What did you do? All those kinds of stuff. So. Okay. Well, like I said, when I was born, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, 
grew up in a military family, so my dad was gone a lot, uh, a lot. And so maybe half the time I was growing up, he was absentee. But he would call and get back to us, and we always knew that he, uh, he loved us. He, uh, he was my hero growing up. I mean, uh, when, when I talk about him, people sometimes have a hard time believing it, it's true, but he had seven Purple Hearts. Okay. Uh, he was nominated for the Congressional Medal of Honor, had the Silver Star, three Bronze Stars, two Distinguished Service Crosses, two Distinguished Flying Crosses. He was a fighter pilot in World War II. He served in World War II, Korea, and two tours of duty in Vietnam. And, uh, wow. wow. He, he was tough. <laughs> uh, after he retired, they went in to uh, do gallbladder surgery, and they found a fragment of a bullet and a piece of shrapnel in his gallbladder that had been there for years. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. So you didn't cross him much, huh? So. No, no. <laughs> I actually was afraid of him. Yeah. Uh, so he, uh, but he was, uh, like I said, he was absent about half the time and doing different things. And when he came home, uh, he drank a lot. And uh, he was loving and protective, but he drank a lot. And uh, so uh, as we grew up, we just, we were all, we felt loved and protected and secure. And they all, when he was there, he tried to make the home a happy place. Uh, when he'd been drinking too much, didn't get to be quite so happy. Okay. And uh, I can remember as I was growing up in years ago, he uh, we'd play chess until I got better than he was, and then he wouldn't play chess with me anymore, and we switched to cribbage. And so he would be sitting, drinking whiskey or beer, smoking a big cigar, and whenever I'd start to win, he'd blow smoke in my face. <laughs> I thought it was endearing. That was your dad. That was your dad. Okay. So you kind of moved around as a military kid. You moved around quite a bit. Yep, and yep. Uh, went from, uh, lived in several different places in the States, in Texas, Georgia, New Jersey, New York. Uh, mostly in Germany, though. Uh, I went to... Uh, Grade school, or not grade, last year grade school and all junior high school in Battles, Germany, which is a small town in Bavaria, about halfway between Munich, Germany, and, and uh, Aust- uh, Salzburg, Austria. Uh, from there, I went to Lawton, Oklahoma, uh, and went to high school in Lawton, Oklahoma, where uh, I picked up, uh, I actually worked on a ranch uh, uh, as a working cowboy for a couple of years. And then from high school, I went back to Germany, to the University of Heidelberg. And so it was kind of diverse. From, in 1970, there was a lottery for the draft, if any of you older people remember that. I was number 47 in the lottery, so I lost my student deferment, had to come back to the States and uh, join the Coast Guard. And I was in the Coast Guard for four years active duty and two years inactive. While I was in the Coast Guard, I got married to my first wife and... Uh, my oldest child, Rachel, was born, and uh, she was born in Hamburg, Germany. Okay, all right. Now, so so after Coast Guard, tell yeah. us a little bit about where, what, what you did and where you went and all okay. that kind of stuff. Okay, I, w- I went back uh, to finish college at the University of Memphis, because uh, I had three years at Heidelberg, and then so I did my last year at Memphis. And while I was there, uh, I was... Uh, really committed my life to Christ uh, through some cousins. They invited me to a church that they were going to and uh, really anchored there. While I was there, um, my plans were to finish college, go to law school. I'd already been uh, accepted at Case Western Reserve. And uh, uh, 
But some people, the way the church that I went to worked is that they would approach young men and ask them uh, after they'd been praying for, uh, if they thought that they should be a ministry, they'd get, pick you out and say, I think you ought to be a ministry. And we need for you to pray about it. And they did that to me. And so that kind of created a conflict about what to do of going to a seminary and going to law school. So eventually I decided to go to law school or to seminary. <laughs> and, uh, maybe I should have gone to law school. But anyway, I went to seminary. Uh, and uh, so I went to Mid-America Seminary there in Memphis, and then I went to Golden Gate Theological Seminary here, and then I went to Western Evangelical Seminary in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. The, uh, from Memphis, after that, after making a commitment to uh, really going to the ministry, uh, I became involved in starting missions in and around Memphis and working with the church. It was a fairly large church. It, all churches in the South are large. Uh, <laughs> we were a big church, but not the biggest church on the block. Uh, my, f- my first sermon was in front of a congregation of 1,500 people. And my second sermon was in one of the missions with 25 people. I got right to the minors. <laughs> you know? And on the way out, uh, after that second sermon, one of the ladies came up to me, patted me on the chest, and said, don't worry, son, you keep preaching. We'll teach you how to preach. No. <laughs> Anyway, from there I went to Portland, Oregon, started a a church called the, uh, it was the Oak Grove Baptist Mission, later became the Westland Baptist Church, and it was really successful. It it reached a lot of people for Christ and grew really quickly. In fact, it was the fastest growing Baptist church in the Northwest for a while. And uh, from there, I went to Boca Raton, Florida. Mm -hmm. Am I going? Should I? Yeah, yeah, we were, I'll, I'll just, this is where our, actually our stories overlapped. Yeah. We didn't know it. This is, um, over what, years ago, you know, yeah, yeah not too many. Yeah, not, yeah just, just the other day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, we were both actually in Boca Raton, Florida at yeah. the same time. And, right. and churches were probably just a few miles from, from each other. And we had always heard about Boca Glades. Yeah. Um, I was a University Baptist. He was a Boca Glades Baptist. Yeah. And, and his church was healthy and doing really well. Ours was just yeah. Just a mess. It was a mess. And so his church grew as our church shrunk. It, yeah. was, just a, it was just an amazing thing. Yeah. So we actually contributed to his yes, success. Yeah, so, that. yeah. <laughs> we didn't even know, we didn't the, know each the, other. Yeah. Yeah, the, the church grew in, in Boca really fast uh, and got a lot of publicity. And uh, we bought land, built a building. You know, hundreds of people were coming. And I began to be asked to speak at different conferences about how to start churches and grow them uh, up and down the East Coast. Uh, after doing that for a while, I was asked to move to Seattle, Washington. So I went from Portland to South Florida and back out to Seattle uh, as a, a denominational employee for church starting. Uh, I was the church extension director up there for that part. Uh, really successful. Had some uh, a lot of churches start while I was there. From there, I was asked to come to California and become the church, ex- church extension director for the California Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, I was here for a while, had a staff of about 12 regional people that worked with me. And then we ended up starting, while I was there, uh, a little over 100 churches. And so we're really excited about that. uh, uh, And uh, my last, really, that was my last ministry job, was there. uh, uh, And the first time I visited Mariners, was actually in 1994, was maybe two or three weeks before I resigned. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. And then, and then you got into nonprofits, uh, other situ- So I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Tell us about your last one because this is really interesting. What you did. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
through a series of different things. I ended up uh, in relationships and contacts. I was asked to become the executive director of a nonprofit in San Jose called Second Start Learning Disabilities. And it was a, a nonprofit organization that had a school behavioral uh, program, a study program, and a works program for special need kids, uh, primarily autistic kids, but also kids with uh, emotional challenges and behavioral challenges. And uh, so I felt like this, uh, I could have some impact there, so I accepted that job. And uh, did, it, it, it was exciting, again, but God blessed. And uh, from the one school, we started another one in San Jose, and then we started works programs in Palo Alto. Then we started another <coughs> excuse me, school and program in Reno, uh, Nevada. And then uh, right before I left, we started a, another one right before I retired uh, in Monterey. And so in it... Uh, it's doing well. It's a good program. It, it has the best, uh, at the time when I left, I haven't checked lately, uh, it had the best rate of allowing special needs children to migrate back into public education and be successful uh, of any private school. In fact, we started, I, I forgot about this, we started the first special needs charter school in the state of California, and we started that in uh, uh, San Martin. Wonderful. Ah, very good. Okay, tell us about your family. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, like I said, my oldest daughter, Rachel, was uh, born in Germany. Uh, and she, uh, wonderful, smart, typical first child, vibrant. She's a force of nature as an adult. Uh, she is happily married in outside Ojai. Uh, California. Uh, they recently have just bought an orchard of tangerines and avocados, and uh, they had it. Uh, she is a wonderful Christian lady and uh, married a good Christian man, and they have two wonderful children they're raising in the church. She is on the board of directors for Young Life, and uh, so just she's doing good. Okay, I have a second child, Benjamin. Okay, and, uh, and then a third child, Mary, who is the youngest. Benjamin and uh, Mary were great little kids. I mean, it, in our house, I taught them all how to swim, taught them all how to ride bikes, and we'd camp and hike and go swimming. When we were in Florida, we'd go to the beach and have picnics, and when we were in the Northwest, we'd go up in the mountains and camp. Like uh, I, I was a fairly strict dad, but I, but I was also beginning to become more absentee like my dad was, because... I was working really hard. I mean, the Lord blessed and everything, but I worked all the time. And then when I wasn't working, I was studying. And uh, so I was uh, somewhat of an absentee father to some degree. But when I was home, it was a place filled with fun and laughter and those kinds of things. Uh, eventually, my family fell apart. Uh, my wife, my first wife and I divorced uh, in the early 1990s. And uh, uh, actually, while I was still the church extension director for the state of California, oh, whew, I thought that was my phone. <laughs> okay. I'm very sorry. That's a, don't apologize. That's okay. The um, uh, uh, Rachel and Ben were adults. They'd come through high school, and they were on their own doing well. Had spent a couple of years in college. Rachel went off to a really successful career in sales, and Benjamin uh, has an amazing skill with wood. He, he could just make anything out of it and began to make 
different kind of furniture out of wood, and then he began to customize hardwood floors for people in, uh, in Southern California, and did, was really successful doing that. Uh, he ended up hurting his back uh, severely, and so that he was permanently disabled. Okay, the, uh, uh, while he was doing living on his own, doing the hardwood floors, he began to experiment with drugs, uh, and they kind of took him. Okay. Yeah, he's a big guy, six three, about two twenty five. Uh, and after the injury, uh, it, it was severe. They put a, uh, a morphine pump in his back that fed morphine direct to his spine, and he became severely addicted to drugs and began to prescription drugs at that time. Began to alter his personality uh, severely. Uh, some paranoia began to manifest in his life. And uh, it's been downhill since then. Uh, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, I guess, uh, uh, I called his uh, mother because we hadn't heard from him in several months. And uh, she said she hadn't heard from him either, but he had talked about wanting to go to Dubai. And uh, his settlement was large so that he would never have to work again. And... Uh, so I called uh, the embassy in Dubai and said there might, there's a possibility of a missing American in the United Arab Emirates. If there's anything they can do, and they were just great. They they really were, and they found him in jail. Uh, he had been arrested for possession of illegal drugs. And uh, working, uh, <laughs> working with the embassy there, they were great. I mean, they were just fantastic. And I appreciate you paying your taxes because it worked. <laughs> we got him out of jail after about two months, and he was deported back to the States. And uh, didn't seem very appreciative of it. But uh, a few months later, he went to Peru. Same thing happened. Got arrested. Worked with the embassy. Got him out of Peru. And then uh, was asked... Uh, his mother called me in January, February, asking me if I had heard from him. I said no. She goes, well, he said he was going to go to Bolivia. And the last we heard, that he was living on the streets in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. So that's my middle son, my middle child. Mary uh, was in high school when my first marriage ended. And uh, she began to experiment with drugs there and out of high school. And then... Uh, began to get herself straight, recommitted her life to Christ, went into a rehab program, and uh, was doing really well, got a nice job, uh, met a nice young man. They got married and had two really beautiful little girls. And uh, a couple years after that, she began to mess with drugs again, left her husband. Left Anyway, left her girls, ran off with another guy, uh, and has been uh, an addict ever since, living on the streets in different places, Fresno, Ventura. Uh, a couple of months ago, she called and said she wanted to get her life straight. So I uh, went down and got her and brought her up here and uh, took her into San Francisco uh, and got her into a program uh, with the Salvation Army and their program, which is a great program. 
and uh, she didn't make it for 30 days. And the last I heard, she's still on the streets there in San Francisco. So that's my family. Yeah. Oh, that's not my family. That's just the bad part. <laughs> okay. While I was kind of uh, while I was here. It was uh, one of the first time in, in 93, 94, when I first did. Uh, and marriage fell apart, uh, left work, uh, and I was living in an RV in Pelican Point so that I could pay alimony and everything. And it was, it was bad. It was, it was some bad times. Okay, but through that, I really had to come face-to-face with mature Christianity, uh, that life is not rigged, that uh, bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. It's not, life's not rigged. God doesn't play favorites. What he does is he sparks us in our hearts through Jesus, and he expects us to yield our hearts and lives to him. And through that, it changes the world. And the children, all my kids were raised to accept Christ. I taught them memory verses. We'd pray together and do, do all those things as, as small children. Uh, say their prayers at night, every night. You know, Let them see me have a quiet time in the morning. And they still chose as adults to make catastrophically bad decisions. And so I'm going, what? Why? How, how can this be? Doesn't Proverbs say, raise up a child and where they're supposed to go? They'll not depart when they get old? Or they're getting pretty old. I'm old. They're getting old. The, uh, and so, sitting out there in a trailer at Pelican Point, God and I had, a, uh, had months of conversations, which basically came down to Ask Adam and Eve about their son, you know, the one that killed their other son. And they walked with me. Life is not guaranteed. Adults make choices. And he, he led me to 1 Corinthians 13 about how to love the children when they make catastrophic decisions through the last few years. And in 1 Corinthians 13, down toward the end of it, it says... When I was a child, I used to think like a child. This is 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. That's what they read at weddings. But at the end of it, it says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And that's in the context of loving. That means that I love, I can't be a child in my love. I can't be self-centered in my love. A child's thinking and reasoning is absolutely self-centered. There's no connection to objective reality. It is purely subjective, what they want, what they expect, their anticipation. Maturity doesn't do that. And maturity in Christ is treating people like adults, knowing that their relationship with Christ is between them and Christ, not between me, them, and Christ. And I can trust God with him. After all, he gave his son for my son. <laughs> you want another question? I'll kill you. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Ask me an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> You've learned a lot about um, God the Father's love yeah. through being a dad and through your experiences. Yeah. Okay, so, so suppose someone's here thinking, um, I've screwed up too badly. Uh, God would never yeah. take me back. What have you learned about that one? There's, uh, in my own life, uh, the breakup of my first marriage, uh, they were always 50-50. Mine was probably 60-40, 60 my, my fault. And I screwed up. And, uh, but that doesn't disqualify anyone from walking with Christ. I mean, when, when you think about it, all the passages in the Bible, the Bible was written for Christians. It was written for us. And it talks about when you screw up, admit it, <laughs> turn to Christ with a humble heart, with great gratitude for his sacrifice for you, and he'll turn you back around, set you on the right path. And that's absolutely the truth. And that, that is the Father's love, is that it's there, spread for, ev- for everyone on the planet. And all that's required, I mean, his love, which changes everything, I mean, which, which has changed the world literally. What we define as civilization has come through Jesus' love. And it changes people's hearts in the same way. And all that's required is for us to approach him with humble gratitude, with truth in our hearts about who we are. Because we all know something about each other. I mean, I know something about, I know a lot about Paul. I mean, I don't know a little bit. Is that we've all, everybody in this room has known the truth and known the lie, and we chose to tell the lie at one time or another. Every one of us has known the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. And at one time or another, we chose to do the wrong thing on purpose. Sometimes it has terrible consequences. Sometimes it doesn't have any consequence at all, as far as we know. But the truth is, there's something in us that requires God's love and forgiveness. And he expects us to be honest about that. And when we're honest about that, he, his love, his, the father's love for a child is healing and restoring and builds on the inside and spreads throughout. And, it, and that's the only way that I can approach my children when they're not. Rachel, who's doing great, the other two who are not doing so good, is that I approach them with maturity and love and encouragement. And as they're open to it and will receive it with honesty about who they are, I, everything I have, I pour out to them. But I can't and won't encourage behavior that's self-destructive and neither does God that's God's love for each of us he, and it changes the world we, we are the hope of the world we are the only people on the planet that don't add to the world's problems when we're walking with Christ you see we, everybody else when they have problems they bump against each other and it becomes like a pinball and all the problems just multiply and that tells you the state of the world Christians, when the problem, when we're walking with the Lord, someone comes to us with a problem that comes to us, what do we do? We take it to the Father. Out of the world. We clean the world. We are the ones that are the hope of the world. Because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Sorry, preaching a little too much. Yeah, the preacher's coming out. Yeah, no, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna tighten down on the time now. Okay. So um, if you want, if you guys want to talk more to Ellie, um, 
he actually comes. He he sits towards the back, but um, he's he take him out for a cup of coffee. He's retired, so you got to buy. Man, that's all right. But um, yeah, you see see why you know I spend time with him. Um, he feeds me as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a minute. We're going to. Can we pray for you? Sure. We're going to pray for you, and we're going to pray for Ben and for uh, Mary. And as you experience God's love in you, that you can learn how to love him. So let's, let's pray together, okay? So, Father, thank you for Ellie, and thank you that his heart was touched by you and that you grabbed him at a young age so that he could be a good father to his kids. And thank you for the insight that you've given him into your love. Thank you that he's able to share it with us. We would pray now for two of his kids. He doesn't even know where they are on Father's Day, Lord. And I pray that this day would spark in them a desire to come back, to return back. Right now, Father, we pray for Mary somewhere in San Francisco. We think she would feel the tug of God, your your leading, your voice for Ben somewhere in South America that he would feel you now and reach out not just to his earthly dad but to his heavenly father and so bless Ellie bless the kids Father may there be may there be a good ending in this story and so we thank you in Christ's name Amen let's thank Ellie would you In, um, in Luke 15, there is the story of the prodigal son, and um, yeah, it's a familiar one. Yeah, it's a kid who rips off his dad, and um, he loses all the fortune, comes back, and we call it the prodigal son, but the story is not so much about the son. It's actually more about the father, because we want to draw all our attention to the kid who's, you know, eating with the pigs and all of that. Keep your eyes on the father. Because when the kid finally realizes in humble gratitude, everything I could have had, everything I wanted is actually back there with my father, he does what? Comes back. And now the spotlight does come upon the father who runs to his son and embraces him and said, this is my son. He once was lost. He's now been what? He's now been found. And that's the kind of love that God the father has for us. And that's a story for us, a story for you and me. No matter what, he said, this is my son, my child, my daughter. Once was lost, my arms are open wide for that. The song we're going to sing is kind of a celebration of that. It's good, good father. We thought appropriate for Ellie's story and also for who God is. So worship through this one. Sing it out if you'd like. Let's come to God as a good father. Your 
good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. gotten out of this morning, I hope it's a story of a dad um, understanding that there's always hope to come back in humble gratitude, um, but also walk away realizing he's a good father. That's who he is. God is a good father. That's who he is. And who are you? You're loved by him. And that's enough for today. Thank you so much for being part of this morning. If you'd like to talk to somebody about your spiritual life, 
um, line up behind Ellie, okay, because he's great with that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, um, you're welcome to be, you know, people in the prayer room are going to be there for you if you need just prayer or just a time alone. We're here around here. You can talk to us as well. Um, we're going to stand. We're going to finish with a final song. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. Enjoy the ice cream. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you next week. Love you all. Take care.